Thank you for tuning in to RTM Nation Online, where we believe that you will receive the abundance of peace, prosperity, security, stability, health, healing, and truth. If you would like to learn more about the ministry, click the link below. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the channel. Now let's get into the message. Welcome to the day of deliverance. Day of breakthrough. A day of hope. A day of clarity. 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 I believe the Holy Spirit is going to speak clarity to some of you today. Clarity. You've had an idea that God has something good for you. You had a sense that there was good that he wanted for you. You had a sense of it. You, you heard somebody say something and it kind of agreed with you, but you, you're still kind of foggy. No, you're going to get some clarity today. Clarity about what God wants you to do. Clarity about his plan for your life. No more ambiguity. No more standing in the middle. No more sitting on the fence. No more gray. Clarity. You're going to see clearly what God wants for you. Clearly what God wants for your life. You'll be able to see it clearly today. You're going to see it clearly, and then it'll be up for you to choose. It'll be left for you to choose. No more will you be able to say, I wasn't able to move forward because I couldn't see. No, he's going to show you. You're going to get clarity, and it'll be left for you to decide. Do you want the good that I have for you? That'll be the only question you're left with after today. Do you want this good that I have for you? I know the thoughts that I think towards you. I know the plans that I have for you. The plans that I have for you are good, that no harm come upon you, that you might have hope, a confident expectation of good. See how good God is? He says, I want to give you something today for your tomorrow. I'm going to give you hope. Hope is for today. He says, I'm going to give you a confident expectation of good in your today concerning your tomorrow. So if I have a confident expectation of good for my today, I ain't worried about tomorrow because the hope I have today takes care of my tomorrow. The hope that I have today speaks to my tomorrow. If I have a confident expectation of good today, then that speaks for my tomorrow. The scripture says that you don't have to hope for things that you see. So hope isn't coming to you for today. Hope comes for, for your tomorrow. So I can expect good tomorrow. I can be excited about good happening tomorrow. Why? Because God has given me hope today. Amen. Anybody need that? Glory to God. Hallelujah. Give me some hope. Because the truth is, that's why people make the, decision, the bad decisions that they make, because they can't see the good that's about to come. You make decisions based on the distress and the stress and the pressure of today, because you can't see that there's good tomorrow. There's some situations that you'll start running away from when you see God's good for you tomorrow. If you see that good is coming, good is on the way. I don't have to leave. I don't have to stress out. I don't have to be worried. I don't have to bail out because good is coming. I can stand right here in this situation because God has already shown me that good is on its way. I'll be able to make better decisions when I get some hope. I can make decisions based on the good that's coming. I make a decision today for the good that's coming. You talking about enjoying life? 
All I have to do is make decisions based on the good that's coming. May I live a life making decisions today based on the good that's on its way. All I'm doing is making room for the good that's coming. I'm making adjustments for the good that's coming. I'm putting myself in a position to receive the good that's coming. I ain't worried about all this stuff. I'm not stressed out. I don't care what it looks like. God has already said there's good that's coming. So I'm going to just adjust my life to receive the good that's coming. Anybody that I bring on my boat, me and them getting ready for the good that's coming. If you ain't ready to receive this good that's coming, maybe you need to get on somebody else's boat. But everybody on this boat, we're receiving the good that's on its way. Glory. What you say, Mother Moore? That's right. <laughs> you looking for somebody to join your boat, Mother Moore, say, hey, you looking for good? She'll get in it with you. God has good for you. God has good for you. God's, God's voice, God's plan outweighs the, whatever's happening in the world around you. God's voice, God's, God's word is, is more, has more weight than whatever your current situation is. God has good for you. God has good for you. God has good for you. And check this out. Where you are right now does not change the plans that he had for you before you entered your mother's womb. Listen, he says he had plans for you before you entered your mother's womb. That ain't have nothing to do with the decisions that you made after you came out. The decisions you made after you came out of your mother's womb didn't change the plans that he had for you before you even got in there. The good that he had for you then is the same good he has for you now. He'll lead you back. He'll get you back on the right road. He's that good. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are without repentance, meaning that the good that he had planned for you, he's not taking it back. He's not taking it back. He'll navigate you back. Now, it might be challenging to get back. You have to make some different decisions. You might have to cut some things off, cut some people off, learn some new habits, develop new character, but he'll get you back. He'll get, it back. He'll get you back to where he wants you. Amen. Your, your bad decisions ain't more, don't carry more weight than God's decision. You actually think that you, you got it like that? That you could do something or think in a certain way that trumps or cancels out God's good plan for you? You think you're that powerful? That the decisions that you make can actually undo the decision that God made for you? God is a sovereign God. God has providence. He is the ruler. He is the king. He's the God that said, I'll change the king's heart if necessary. He's the God that said, I'll make a way when there is no way. He's the God that said, I'll make an oasis in the desert. He is that God. God says, I'll make a paradise out of dry land. Mm -hmm. He's that God. So there's nothing that you can do to undo what he's already decided. All you have to do is determine that you want what he has for you. I want all the good God has for me. Amen. That's my life goal. I want, when, I, when I finish, I want to finish done. Everything that was tagged to my name, I want it. Jesus died for me to get it. Right. Who am I to leave it on the table? Amen. Ain't no picky eating over here. <laughs> Shoot. Amen. You know how you do. Or if y'all were kids, you know how your kids do. They try to be picky and... My daughter fills up the hair, she'll eat chicken nuggets every day. You better eat some of these green beans. 
right? And just trust that your daddy knows best for you. Well, the same thing with God. I'm going to take everything he got for me and trust that he knows best. Daddy knows best. Amen. Amen. All of that was for somebody. That was your day to receive that. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. You ready to get into the message for today? So we've been in, in this um, series of teaching um, titled The Giver. And um, this year, you know, we declare that this is the year of stability. Amen. Amen. Anybody excited about it being a year of stability? Amen. What does that mean? What does this mean that this is the year of stability? This is the year that God is, God, God, he's, you know, not that God has wanted to do this. He's always wanted to bring stability to our lives. But this is the year that, that we're, we're seeking him to get some clarity on how it's going to happen. And what does it mean that he's bringing stability to us? This, there's a scripture that says that he does, it shows that God doesn't want you tossed. God doesn't want you tossed to and fro. God doesn't want you easily moved. God doesn't want you in between two opinions. God doesn't want you to uprooting your beliefs, uprooting your confidence, uprooting your, your habits, uprooting as things around you change. God doesn't want you subject to the trends of popular belief. God doesn't want you, you know, you turn on the TV, you hear a news report, and then you're moved because of something that's happening in the news. Or every four years when our election cycle comes around, you're moved because of who's going to be in the White House. God doesn't want you moved. God doesn't want you moved. God doesn't want you so easily uprooted. God wants you stable. There are several scriptures throughout the Bible that give this analogy. It says the believer, the person that believes in God, the person that follows Jesus should be like a tree planted, rooted. Psalms 1 says we should be like a tree planted, rooted by living water, by a constant flow of water. What it means is that there's always provision. Anything that you need is there's a full, abundant supply. God wants us to be like that, a rooted tree, not easy, not moved, right? Not moved. And we talked about relationships. We talked about just renewing our mind to stability. We've declared in the beginning what we expect to happen in the end. That's what God does. God doesn't wait for things to happen and then name it based on what happened. God names it in the beginning. And then it happens because he said it. So we learn to do the same thing. This is my year of stability. And we started declaring it in January. We speak it from the beginning and expect to see it in the end. Yes. Right? And then we've learned that we have to have, you know, this, is be, this being our year of stability, we got to value relationships. Because the people around you, the people around you have a part to play in this being your year of stability. Right? So we value relationships. I'm looking for people who value the same things that I value. So we can head in the same direction together so that I can make it to my expected end. So relationships are important. And then in this series, um, The Giver, we've been talking about finances. And I know something, that's something that may make some people uncomfortable talking about that in, in church. And I know that, um, you know, people think all types of things when you talk about money in church, Right. I ain't going to get on that. I, I'll, I'll hold off on that. But, but, you know, we estimate that Jesus 
in the Bible, the Bible records about 38 parables. Jesus' teaching, right, the way that he taught the crowd, there are about 38 parables. Out of those 38 parables, 16 of them were about finances. 16 of them. So the majority, out of any other thing that Jesus could have talked about, the majority of his conversation as it relates to those parables were about money. And then one of them, one of them in Luke 16, one of them even says, you know what, there's, there's one thing that even challenges, there's one thing that even challenges where you place God in your heart. And he doesn't say that it's relationships. He doesn't talk about, you know, say it's, uh, you know, sin or, or anything like that. You know what he says it is? Money. And he says, when it comes to you serving two masters, you know what he said the other master is? Money. Why would he take the time to talk about it if it wasn't important? Well, let's be honest. Most of what we do as adults, most of what we do from age, really, I mean, we could start earlier, but from age 18 on has to do with money. Those of us that go on to, to college, why are you going to college? So you can get a job and make some money, right? The average work week on paper, on paper, is 40 hours. But what really happens, <laughs> 50, 55, 60, if you own your own business, 80, right? Because it's, it's important. God understands that in this society, the way that it's set up, money, currency, is a, it's a means of exchange. That's what we use to exchange. Your money represents your time and your talent. That's what, it, that's what you're exchanging. You exchange your time, you exchange your talent in order to get it, right? Yeah. And then when you got it, because you exchange your time and your talent, most of us, we, know, we say that, well, this is mine. I work for this. I work hard for this. I deserve this. This is mine. I traded all that time, all that talent to get this right here, and it is mine. I'm going to use it the way I want to use it, right? Yeah. And then we even get to a place where we begin to even trust it. And we trust it, and the trust that we put in it even over rise the trust that we give to God. On Friday, people feel real good, real happy, real excited. You got that paycheck. Y'all know them feelings. I, li I lived in Atlanta for a little while. And uh, man, I tell you, Fridays in Atlanta is like the, the city just, everything just comes alive. I mean, it's, the sun shines differently on Fridays in Atlanta. Everybody's excited. Everybody looking to get off work. Let's get dressed, get something to eat, and we about to have a good time. That's like everybody's mind is on that, right? Amen. Just got paid. Y'all remember that song? Just got paid. Fred, sing it. You know it. You know? That's the mindset of everybody, right? That's how it goes, right? We learn to trust it. We've learned to store it up. Store it up. Store it up for later. Store it up for retirement. God ain't say nothing about 
and believers retiring, but he's he storing it up for later, store it up for retirement. Why? Because when I get to the place where I'm no longer working, I got this to rely on. Right? Right. So it's important. I say all of that to say that it is important. It was important. Jesus recognized how important it was, and we'd be leaving something out if we didn't talk about it. So we've been laying this foundation because one of the things that I believe is right believing equals right living. If I believe right, then I'll live right. If I fix my believing, the scripture, the way the Romans 12 says it, if I renew my mind, if I can change my thinking, if I can have my thinking and my thoughts lined up with the way that God thinks and God's thoughts, then I can live better. Right. So we've been laying this foundation, doing this groundwork as it relates to giving and proper money management. Money management, which is stewardship, because our goal is to be exceptional stewards. What is a steward? A steward is a manager, right? A steward is a manager. So we, we're coming from the perspective that everything that we have really belongs to God. If I belong to God, then everything that I got belongs to God. I can't leave things out. I don't get a day pass in the kingdom. I can't, you know, come into the kingdom for a little while when I want something and then leave out No, it doesn't work like that. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I belong to God. I've decided that he's going to lord over, rule, govern my life. That means as a citizen of God's kingdom, I want to learn how to do things his way. God has a way of doing things. Amen or amen. Amen. Every king has a way of doing things. Every king has a way. Every community has a way. God is a king. God has a kingdom, and God's kingdom is the place where God has dominion. It's the place where he rules. It's the place where he reigns, right? In the kingdom, you will see the way of the king. So our king, Jesus, has a way of doing things, and he spent his life teaching how to do things the way of the kingdom, And that's what we'll be talking about for the next few weeks. We're really going to get in and see how does the kingdom work and how, as citizens of the kingdom, God's community, how should we be working? How should we be seeing things? You understand that? Raise your hand if you consider yourself a citizen of his kingdom. You're a part of God's community. So in God's community, it works a certain way. And the problem is, the challenge, the tension for many believers is that we've called ourselves, we've said that we are citizens of God's kingdom, but we still live like we're governed by another king. We say that we are citizens of God's kingdom, but we do things concerning to, that they relate to other systems. And then we wonder why things don't work out the way that God says they should. It's because you brought other systems into my way of doing things. It's because I had an agenda. God says, I had an agenda, and then you came in with your agenda, and you're trying to work your agenda in my agenda, and it ain't just, it ain't going to work like that. God says, I have resources to do what I plan to do. So when you come in wanting to do what you want to do, it it won't work like that, Mm -hmm. Right? So I want to learn God's way of doing things. Anybody else? Yeah. Amen. Amen. So this morning we're going to teach from the um, topic, um, <laughs> the meaning of the miracle. The meaning of the miracle. And for those of you, you're, you're, you're capturing notes. Um, 
we're going to look at Mark 6, John 6, and we'll look at a familiar scripture in Matthew 6. And all these, most of these, what we'll talk about today, things you've heard before. Um, well, while we're looking at it, we'll pull out this perspective Jesus has, which is the perspective of the kingdom, the God's community. And Jesus will show us how God's community works. And then the, our job, our job is to change the way that we think so that we're thinking the way the kingdom thinks. We want to change the way that we work so that we're working the way the kingdom works. Okay? Amen. That's what we want to do. You ready? Yeah. All right. Let's do it. All right. Let me give you some points from the beginning so you don't miss it, you know? Um, I know y'all had, had, some of y'all had some hearty breakfasts, so <laughs> might get a little drowsy. I'm going to give you the main points right here in the beginning. Amen. So just in case, I'm watching out for you. Just in case you doze off at the end, I already got you. I already gave you the good stuff in the beginning. Amen. So capture these things. Um, His portion, our distribution. His, Jesus' portion is our distribution. That's good news right there. I don't know. Maybe because I've been chewing on this for a little while, that just excites me. So hopefully after we talk about this, that'll excite you like it excites me. It's exciting to me to know that I get to distribute. I get to distribute not from my own, not from my own. I'm not a source unto myself, but I get to draw from what Jesus has, and that is what I'm distributing. His portion, his portion, his provision, his resources, that's what I distribute. That's good news. His portion. Our distribution. There's a scripture, I'm going to quote it, we'll read it later. It says, he looked up into heaven, Jesus, looked up into heaven, gave thanks unto God, and broke the bread in pieces. He then gave it to his disciples, who in turn gave it to the crowds, and everyone ate until they were satisfied. And they picked up the leftovers and filled up 12 baskets worth of what was left over. You know, this comes from the account when Jesus fed the 5,000. 5,000 men, 5,000 families. Some estimate there had to be about 20,000 people there, if you include the women and the children. About 20,000 people who were fed from five loaves and two fish. And I know this is something that we've heard, and you can be outside of the church and you've heard about this. And I know we wonder, how does this happen? How does it work? And you know, for the past however many years, the most we've done with this is get excited because Jesus performed a miracle. And we've read this and heard this and we walk away saying Jesus is a miracle worker. And that's great. That's awesome. And he is a miracle worker. And it's awesome to know that when I don't have enough, I got hope that Jesus can make my not enough enough. And it's awesome. And we've had experiences, many of us, we've had experiences where we've been in insufficiency and God makes a way so that we have sufficiency. And that's awesome. And that is great. That is great, and I'm not trying to take away from that experience. But what I want you to know is that that wasn't Jesus' point. That wasn't the point of it. And so what has happened is that people today have been left in the same place as the same people Jesus was dealing with when he performed the miracle the first time. 
What place is that? You should be asking, well, what, what, you, what you mean? What place is that, Pastor Lamar? What place is that? What place have people been left in? What place is that? We've been left in a place where we're always looking for a miracle. And people have been trying, and church folk, good church folk, been trying to live their lives from one miracle to the next miracle. And we've been trying to, I got this mess, get me out of this mess, and then you go live your life until you get to another mess, and you want Jesus to come and get you out of that mess, and you go and you got a knot, knotty situation, and just undo this knot for me like you did it before. And that's not the way that he wanted us to live our lives. That was not the purpose of the miracle. Amen. That was not the point. That wasn't the point for us. We'll see as we look at this story, and you guys are familiar with it, there's, all, there's three groups of people that were there with Jesus. There are three groups of people there with Jesus. You had the crowd. And then within the crowd, you had the disciples, right? The people who were with Jesus. And then, you know, all the, the, the haters always close by. The Pharisees, the religious people, the people who are always skeptical, the people always questioning, right? They are there too, right? And today we still have those same three groups of people. The question that you need to ask yourself is what group do you fit in? Am I in with the crowd? And we'll see the crowd is always looking for a miracle. Am I a disciple? Am I one who Jesus wants to perform a miracle through? Am I a Pharisee? Am I a religious person? Am I a skeptic? I just want to be a fly on the wall and see what happens and criticize what happens and talk about what can and can't be possible. What group do you fit in? Right? Let's look at it in the text. Mark 8. We'll start in Mark 8. Glory to God. Now, I said that because I'm looking at the time. <laughs> I, even, even, I haven't even scrolled the, the page down yet. Mark 8, here we go. Mark 8, uh, starting at verse 17. I'm going to read this from the, uh, the, um, the Passion Translation. They'll put the scriptures on the, on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Um, capture the notes, you know. You ready? Verse 17 says, knowing what they were thinking, Jesus, already knowing what they were thinking, said unto them, why all this fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Just to give you a little context, this is the account we know in in Mark 6. We'll look at Mark 6. In Mark 6 is the account of Jesus feeding 5,000. In Mark 8, this is the account of Jesus feeding the 4,000. There are two different accounts. Jesus fed 5,000 and one had 12 baskets left over. In another account, Jesus fed 4,000 people, had seven baskets left over. This is the account of the 4,000. This is after the miracle is performed. He's having a conversation with his disciples. His disciples are in a boat with him, right? And, And this is what happens. Knowing what they were thinking, Jesus said to them, his disciples, why all this fussing over forgetting to bring bread? Right? Because they're looking at each other like, oh, my goodness, man, we ain't bring enough bread, man. We're about to go on another journey. You, you got to understand, some of y'all, some of y'all not used to conference. Any, 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 any Pentecostal people in here? No? So y'all, y'all might not have a clue. Any back old school Baptist people who used to have BTU, be at church all day, remember that? That's what disciples with Jesus, you roll with Jesus, you're going to do this church thing all day. 
So they're getting ready to go on a mission, and they're looking at their provisions, and they're like, oh, snap, man, we ain't bring enough bread. We ain't got enough bread, man. They fussing with each other. You forgot the bread. You ate too much bread and all of that kind of stuff going on. Jesus hears them complaining, and he says, this is what he says to them. He says, I know what you're thinking. Jesus said, while this fussing of forgetting to bring bread, do you still not see or understand what I say to you? Are your hearts still hard? You have good eyes, yet you still don't see. You have good ears, yet you still don't hear. Neither do you remember. When I multiplied the bread to feed more than 5,000 people, how many baskets full were left over? And they responded, 12. When I multiplied the, the uh, food to feed over 4,000, how many large baskets full of leftovers did you gather afterwards? Seven, that's what they said. Then how is it that you still don't get it. You've seen me perform this miracle. You've seen me stretch five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people, yet you're in this situation and you're still asking, you're still worried about provisions. Oh, my goodness. Y'all not going to let me finish this message, are you? Jesus saying, all the things that I've done for you, you still asking for provision? You're still worried. You're still concerned about your life. You're still worried and concerned about whether or not you have enough after all that I've done for you, all the stuff you've been through, all the stuff I got you out of. Don't you remember? Can't you look back over your life and you see the times that I've provided and delivered and you still at the point where you questioning me about provision? Really? One translation says he asked him over and over again. You still don't get it. How do you still not get it? I mean, you saw it with your own eyes. Some of us have seen him do things with our own eyes. We were in it. And he's like, how you still don't get it? How you still don't get it? That's what he asked his disciples over and over again. How don't you get it? After all of this, you still don't get it. So in these two accounts, feeding the 5,000, feeding the 4,000, we get a perfect picture, a perfect picture of how the kingdom of God operates. We see the perfect picture of how the kingdom of God operates. Anybody interested in seeing how the kingdom of God operates? All right. But these are some things that you have to know up front. These are some things that you have to know up front. And I'm just going to tell them to you. You decide whether or not you, how you decide your participation. You decide where you want to be in the group. You decide what group you want to be in. You decide whether or not it's on your own. You on your own decide if you want to be a disciple. You on your own decide if you want to be the crowd. You on your own have to decide if you want to be a Pharisee. That's your choice to make. I'm just going to tell you how things work in the kingdom. It's up to for you to decide where you want to be. You got it? In Matthew 6, Matthew 6, it says this. He just gives us the answer. He just, he, just, he just gives it to you. I mean, he, he's not hiding it. There's no ambiguity here. He's very clear. He says, listen, this is what you need to do. When it comes to your provision, when it comes to your life, when it comes to you having what you need, this is what you need to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness Amen. and all the things that you need, all of that stuff will be added to you. This is Jesus talking to disciples, same group of people, same people in front of him. And this is what he says. If you, when it comes to your provision, this is how it works in the kingdom of God. 
and he makes the contrast so clear. He says, listen, if you're not in the kingdom of God, then you're going to have to get it. Because people outside of God's kingdom, they have no shepherd. They have no shepherd to lead them to still waters. They have no shepherd to lead them to green pastures. You got to get it on your own. But for those of you who are in the kingdom of God, you seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Unlike people outside, they have to go and seek it on their own. For those who are in the community, in the community, you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean for me to seek the kingdom of God? That's, you know, it's not language we use all the time. We don't talk about kings and all of that stuff, right? What does it mean for me to seek the kingdom of God? I told you earlier, the kingdom, every kingdom has a king. The kingdom is the place the king has dominion. It's the place the king rules. So first, he says, the first thing that you need to seek is having God, having the king rule over you. That's first. And guess what? That has nothing to do with your church tenure. That has nothing to do with your denomination. That has nothing to do with the position that you got. Has nothing to do with your title. You have to make a choice to have God, have the king rule over you. Meaning your way is the way I want to live my life. What you say is right is right. What you say is wrong is wrong. I want you to rule over me. I make my choices based on what you say, based on your word. Your word is final authority in my life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek first to be a citizen of his kingdom. I'm going to follow your way. That's what he says to seek first. Then he says, then you seek his righteousness. What does that mean? We know that righteousness means right standing with God, right? Righteousness is right standing with God, meaning I'm in right position with God. I'm in right relationship with God. And beyond that, it also means that his right way of doing things. Righteousness is his right way of doing things. So I'm seeking first his rulership and I'm seeking his right way of doing things. Now that I'm in his community, I want to do things his way. That's righteousness. I want to do things his way, just like any other community. My wife and I, right now, we live in a community where there's a certain way that you do things, right? We lived in a community where, you know, even though you paid a mortgage, we paid the mortgage, didn't we? Every month, we paid the mortgage, and we still couldn't paint our house pink. My name, our name is on the deed. But because we live in a deed-restricted community, you can't do what you want to do. Because there's a way that this community operates. There's a way. There's a government. I actually served, I was president, vice president of the, um, the association. So I was a part of making the way for this community. But there's a way. There's a government in the community. Same thing with God's community. There's a government He's the king, right? He's the king. He has a way. So I'm seeking his rulership over my life, and I'm seeking his way of doing things. And then all those things are added unto me. I had to share Matthew 6.33 because it speaks to where we are in this Bible. It, It shows perfectly how the kingdom works, a perfect picture of the kingdom of God in operation. 
So, look at um, Mark 6. Mark 6, starting at verse 30. Mark 6, starting at verse 30. Understand this, going up front. Here's some points for you. Point number one. And I just want you to have this in your mind as we go through the scripture. I want you to, I'm going to say it to you up front so that when we go through, you'll see it, okay? Point number one. You will see, you will see provision when you seek to meet the needs of others. This is how the kingdom operates. This is the kingdom of God in operation. I see you, man. I'm not going to tell you that I see you, because then I have to stop talking in order to say I see you. So just trust I see you. That was for him. No, 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 it ain't apply to nobody up here. Y'all got it? So when we go through Mark 6, understand this point. You will see provision as a citizen of God's kingdom. You will see provision when you seek to meet the needs of others. That's point number one. That's something that you have to understand if you're looking to live according to God's way of doing things. You will see provision as you seek to meet the needs of others. You got that? Point number two. Point number two is so good. It's, 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 it's not long, so you might look past it because it's real short, but I'm telling you, it's like one of them small, packaged, real good things. Ain't that a saying, good things come in small packages? Me and you. <laughs> Point number two is this. Real simple. Draw from Jesus. Draw from Jesus. Draw. Make your withdrawal. Draw from Jesus. You're in God's kingdom. You're a citizen of his community. Draw from Jesus. The first thing that you do is you seek. If you expect provision to come through you, you expect a constant flow of provision, seek to, to meet others' needs. And draw from Jesus. Make your withdrawal from Jesus. You're pulling from Jesus. You got that? Okay, now let's look at what happens here. Mark 6. <clears throat> Mark 6, verse 30, from the Easy Reader version, it says, The apostles Jesus had sent out came back to him. This is the apostles he had sent out his disciples. You know, they were like in ministry training school. He sent them out to go and witness, right? They spent this time away. They're going out and they're going out all over the area in order to witness. They came back. They're coming back. They're giving him a report of what, what happened. Gathered around him and told him about all they had done and taught. Jesus and his followers were in a very busy place, right? Can you picture this? You're getting a picture of it in your mind. They're in this very busy place. They're coming back to him. They're telling him about all the things that were happening. There were so many people that the, he and his followers did not even have time to eat. People all around him, they're doing ministry. You imagine it, right? Get it in your mind like you're in the church. You know, you're in church, you're in leadership, you're in serving, there's people all around you, and you've been doing this all day, all week. Now it's time to get some rest. It's time to eat. That's where Jesus is, right? So he says to them, let's pull away. Let's go to a, you know, go to a little private place where we can have some time for ourselves. That's what he says. That's what Jesus says. In addition to that, he just got news that his cousin was killed, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was killed, so Jesus wanted to get away. Jesus wanted to have some time for himself. So he says to his disciples, let's get in this boat. Let's go to a private area. You getting the picture, right? The people, 
that are around them, the people in the, the region around them, the people that are around them, see Jesus and the crew leaving. So they say, look, they leaving, where they're going, they find out where they're going, the people leave and they get there before them. So the scripture says, the scripture says that when Jesus got off the boat, what does he see? A large crowd of people there, there. One translation says, and they look like sheep without a shepherd. They look like sheep without a shepherd. So here's the thing that you got to catch. Jesus is tired. Jesus is hungry. His disciples, the men that are with him, they're tired. They're hungry. But he sees people with a need. So what does the kingdom do? The kingdom always places people as priority. So Jesus said, well, forget my needs, forget my rest, forget that I'm hungry. Let's meet the needs of these people. That's what he does. His disciples, a disciple is a follower. So the men that are following him, the people that are following him, if Jesus is going to meet the needs of people, where do you think the disciples are going? Vacation over, rest time over, no break right now. We got to meet the needs of people. His disciples are coming to meet the needs of people as well. And that's something that you cannot overlook as a disciple. People are always the priority in the kingdom. If you approach provision with a me first, a what's mine first attitude, then you're not going to, it won't work in God's kingdom. God's kingdom always puts people first. That has to be your mindset as a citizen of God's kingdom, as a disciple. You have to change your mind so that you say that we're here to meet the needs of people first. That's what was on Jesus' mind. He said, forget our rest. I just got word that my cousin just died. My cousin was just murdered. He didn't just die. He was murdered. Head cut off. Murdered. Executed. I'm hungry. I'm tired. And my cousin just got murdered. But now I got people in front of me who have a need. So people come first. People first in the uh, kingdom of God. Understand this also. Where there is no need, there is no miracle. But this is something in order, in order to just capture what I said, in order to catch what I said, you have to change the way that you think. You can't be thinking about a miracle for you. You got to leave that place where you're always looking for something for you. That's what we read in Mark 8. Mark 8, the disciples were fussing over bread for them. And Jesus came and reminded them about the miracles. And he points out, not only we fed the 5,000, but we had baskets left over. So if you go into this thinking about your miracle for you, then you're going to miss what Jesus is doing. If you go into trying to get into the prosperity of the kingdom or provision of the kingdom with a me first mindset, you're going to miss it. Where there is no need, where we haven't identified a need, then there is no miracle. The reason the miracle took place is because Jesus went to meet the need of the people. Oh, shoot. You want to see miraculous things happen. Get off of looking for miraculous things happening for you and get involved in God's way of doing things. How can you meet the needs of somebody else? The miracle came as a result of them looking to meet somebody else's need. Amen. 
right? Where there is no need, there is no miracle. Jesus recognizes the need. Jesus uses the disciples to meet the need. Verse 37 says, but Jesus, I skipped some stuff, didn't I? A lot. Good stuff. Y'all ready for it? All right. So they're in this basic place. They want to get some rest. They get off the boat. He saw the crowd waiting. He felt sorry for them because they were sheep without a shepherd to care for them. So he taught the people many things. It is now very late in the day. They've been with Jesus all day. These people took the time to spend with Jesus all day. All day. It's now very late in the day. You see that? They've been with Jesus all this time. Jesus having the mindset and the heart of compassion that he does. He says, look what he says next. They've been with me all day. One of the translations say that one of the disciples pointed out, you know, these people have been with us all day. Jesus' followers came to him and said, no one lives around here. It is already very late, so send the people away. They need to go to the farms and towns around here to buy some food to eat. You see that? The disciples just wanted to send the people away. And I got to stop right there because you got to get this point. Now, you know, I ain't kicking the disciples under the bus. You know, I don't know what mindset they had. I don't know what they were thinking about. I don't know what their reason was for wanting to get the people away. But I can pull some things out of that. And I can imagine myself or, you know, some people I know if we were in that situation. And I just imagine that the thinking was, shoot, you know, Jesus, we came over here to get some rest. You cut the vacation short to meet the needs of these people. Now, you've preached to them all day. Send the people home, Jesus. Send the people home so they, they can eat and so we can eat. Because I'm hungry, Jesus. And I don't know, I'm sure some disciples in that group that was probably like me. And when I get hungry, just give me my room. Give me some space. Right? So they want to send the people away. But understand, again, that if they would have sent the people away, they would have never seen the miracle. Right? Jesus says to them, and we'll close here. Jesus answered, you give them some food to eat. And I love that Jesus said it like this. Don't just read over that because Jesus could have said, I'm going to give them some food to eat. But Jesus says, no, you, you give them some food to eat. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the crowd? Is he talking to the Pharisee? He's talking to the disciples. So he says to his disciples, his followers, you give them something to eat. Oh, that's good news right there. Because he's saying the same thing to the church today. He's saying the same thing to the disciples today. The needs that are around you, the needs that are in society, you give them something to eat. You meet that need. I need you to meet that need. He says to Philip, give them something to eat. Look how they responded. They said to Jesus, we can't. We can't buy enough bread to feed all these people. We would all have to work a month to earn enough to buy that much bread. He's saying each person, each of us in this group would have to work a month to buy enough to feed all these people. Jesus asked them, how many loaves of bread do you have now? Go and see. Don't let what you see is not enough stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Jesus 
looked at his disciples. It wasn't no surprise. I mean, he knew they ain't have enough in themselves to feed all these people. Come on. He'd been with them all this time. He knew they ain't have enough. But he says to them, what do you have? Take notice of what you have. That's the first, that's the first, that's like first base in kingdom provision. That's first base. What do you have? Stop worrying. Stop crying about what you think you need and give God thanks for what you have. You have more than what you think you have. What you have has far more potential than what you think it has. There's value in what you have. I know you've dogged what you had. You've forsaken what you had. You try to hide what you got. You try to put it away. You want something new, and I understand that. I understand all of that. But right now, Jesus is saying, take value in what you have. Recognize what you have. If you look at what you have in a different way, you'll, you'll be able to do the same thing Jesus did. He took what they had, which was clearly not enough. But he lifted it up and he said, thank you, Father, for what we got. Because this is the mindset of the kingdom of God. See, the mindset of the kingdom is that what I have, I'm never asked. I'm never asked to meet the needs of the kingdom from what I have. That's not how this kingdom works. See, every earthly government needs your money. The government that we're a part of right now, it needs your money. So it takes it from you. It does. They take it. No, you don't give it. They take it. Your, your employer come and get it before you even see it. It's already gone. Because they need it. And rightfully so. It's an earthly government. But God's government... God's kingdom ain't in the need need of nothing. It's already full. It's already abundant. God's already got enough. God's already got enough. They take the insufficient thing, the small thing, the thing that you're looking over, the thing that you're complaining about, and two fish, five loaves, clearly not enough. They take the not enough. And they're grateful for the not enough. Jesus takes it and he gives thanks for it. There's a scripture in John 16, around verse 15, where Jesus says, I told you before that everything that the Father has, he's given it to me. So what I'm telling you is that the spirit that my spirit that I'm putting on the inside of you, he's going to take everything that I have. And he's going to transmit it to you. So the, the fullness that the father has, he's given it to the son. And then the son says that because we got the same spirit, you can just draw from me everything that you need. And that's why his portion is our distribution. The Philip, the disciple that he was speaking to at this time, and Andrew, they went, got the two fish, got the five loaves, took it back to Jesus. Jesus lifts it up, gives thanks for it. And then the scripture says that he breaks the bread and he gives it back to his disciples. But we know 
that he doesn't give them back what they gave him. What they gave him was not enough. What they gave him was two fish and five loaves. But what he gives back to them feeds a multitude of people. That's how the kingdom works. We're never expected to meet the needs of people out of our provision. Because in yourself, you'll never have enough. But when you got the whole kingdom of God backing you, you'll never have a need. You'll end up with more than enough. And that's why these two accounts give a perfect picture, a perfect illustration of how the kingdom of God works. Because we see people who didn't have enough be able to meet others' needs. Be able to meet other needs because they were drawing from Jesus. They drew from Jesus. When your priority becomes the kingdom's priority, when the agenda of the king becomes your agenda, when what he wants to do becomes what you want to do, you have to consider whether you have what it takes. But you can trust that he has already made provision. He's already made provision. And just in case, just in case you're wondering, the reason that the two times Jesus goes back and points out to the disciples, not only were you able to meet their needs, but each time you put yourself in a position to meet their needs, there was always leftovers. There was always provision left over. After we fed the 5,000, you left with 12 baskets over. After we fed the 4,000, you left with seven baskets over. There's always enough. There's always enough. And I love it, and I love it, and I love that, you know, I heard preachers would preach. I heard people say that, you know, the reason that he fed the 5,000 and there was 12 baskets left over is because there was, what, 12 disciples. And we tried to make something out of that correlation. But then he feeds 4,000 and it's only seven baskets left over. But this is the thing. When you look at the words, and I'm closing here. I'm just talking right now. When he fed the 5,000 and got the 12 baskets, the Bible, the scripture says that there are 12 small baskets left over. When he fed the 4,000, there are seven baskets. The scripture says there are seven large baskets left over. The point, the clear point that he's making in the differences, the clear point that's being made in it being different, is that the point is, there was enough left over. There was enough left over. There was enough left over. You're trying to figure out how you're going to do what he called you to do. You're worrying about whether or not you got enough resources or enough provision. And what he's saying to you is if you focus on meeting the needs of other people, you'll meet their needs and there will be left over. We can go and get what the kingdom wants done. We can get that done and all the other stuff will be added unto you. That's how the kingdom works. So it's a matter of priority. What are you putting first? Jesus shows us that when you put the needs of other people first, the kingdom takes care of you too. That's good news. Amen. Amen. Stand on your feet. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you. If you would like to help us further expand the vision, simply text the word GIVERTM to the number 41444 or visit us online at www.revealingtruth.org. Now remember, Jesus loves you.